and welcome to episode 71 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. This episode, we're rewatching Goodwill Hunting, which was suggested by a listener. It's been a long time since either of us had seen it, and we agreed with our listener that it was high time we revisit the movie that made Matt and Ben famous. While this isn't necessarily a movie that either Ryan or I love, there are many people who rank Goodwill Hunting among their favorites. So maybe another time around will make us fall in love with Will Hunting. Goodwill Hunting was a huge success upon its release in 1997, making over $200 million worldwide. Which, given today's movie market, it feels kind of insane for a movie like this. Critics were moderately impressed. The Academy was very impressed, nominating the film for nine Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director for Gus Van Sant. It won two, Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams and Best Screenplay for Matt and Ben. As a result, Goodwill Hunting propelled them into Hollywood stardom. But is Goodwill Hunting really as good as everyone remembers? Or is it something worse than bad? Is it unoriginal? Keep listening. This, this Romano John, his, his genius was unparalleled, Sean. This boy is just like that. Mm. But he's, um, he's a bit defensive. Mm. And I need someone who can get through to him. Like me? Yeah, like you. Why? Well, because you have the same kind of background. What background? Well, you're from the same neighborhood. He's from Southie. Yeah. Boy genius from Southie. How many shrinks you go to before me? All right, so that's the scene from a movie we are discussing in this episode, episode 71, Goodwill Hunting. Uh, that's a scene with Lambeau, played by Stellan Skarsgård, who's mm-hmm. a math professor at MIT, talking with an old college buddy, it seems like, yeah. uh, Sean, a psychologist, played by Robin Williams. Yep. Basically just trying to uh, convince Sean to take this kid on as a uh, as a case yeah math whiz to say the least yes but also a janitor and troubled yes so we played that clip because it really seemed to summarize the movie really i guess it's tough to say what the plot is you can say what the movie's about well but to say what the plot the one sentence from imdb is Uh will hunting not good will by the way nice little nice little nice little prank you played on me there (laughs) (laughs) So, Will Hunting, a janitor at MIT, has a gift for mathematics, but needs help from a psychologist to find direction in his life. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, sure. There's the plot. That's it. Get Will a direction. Right. So, maybe Will is hunting. Ah. For himself. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Goodwill is hunting. Hunting. Yeah. But not in in the sense of finding game to eat. No. In the sense of finding purpose. Which, and when they went to that pond, and there were those ducks, I was like, you, this is this it. This is the scene. Finally, we're going to see some duck hunt. And it it didn't happen. And I said, well, of course it didn't happen. He's he's not ready. The movie is more subtle than that. He's not ready. It, it's a metaphorical hunting, too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hunting for uh, direction. Yeah. Love. Mm-hmm. Peace. Purpose. Math solutions. There's that, too. No, he doesn't really need to hunt for that. He doesn't hunt for that. It's just, it's just there. there. He's actually yeah. pretty irritated by math problems. Right. Yeah. Very easy for him. Which I'm sure we're going to get into all of this. Job hunting. That too. Job, job hunting. Yes, I forgot about that part in it. So this was a listener suggestion, as we talked yeah. about in our intro. Uh, Eric, one yeah. of our listeners. Thank you, Eric. If you're yeah. listening to this, we're going to talk about your movie. Yeah. You know what? I wanted to just maybe read his message that he sent to us when uh, he recommended that we talk about this book. This yeah. is from movie. Uh, Eric. We're talking about a movie. <laughs> Did you read the novelization of Goodwill Hunting? <laughs> yeah, you know, like the, the it had the cover on the paperback yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. That real like cheap paper, mm-hmm. it never sat straight. Even now after a, it yeah. Right now a major it. motion picture. It didn't even say now, it just no, said just a major motion motion major motion picture. <laughs> right. Anyways, this is the uh, message that Eric sent to us. Uh, he said any chance you'd consider doing a Goodwill Hunting episode? I'm a Boston guy and I actually avoided seeing it for the first few years. It was out because I was sick of hearing girls talk about how hot Matt Damon and or Ben Affleck was. <laughs> I'm with you, man. Uh, then I saw it begrudgingly and was shocked by how much I liked it. It's actually one of my favorites. Love the podcast, Eric in Massachusetts. Yeah. So 
you know, we don't have that Boston connection. No. But I actually read some articles of people years later looking back on Goodwill Hunting, and a lot of them were from Boston, and they all talked about this thing of like kind of being uh, excited that finally there was a movie based in Boston. Hmm. But then also kind of having a backlash towards it locally because they just got so sick of this movie being associated with Boston yeah. as being like the Boston movie. Yeah. And like everybody thinking that that's what everyone from Southie was like. And, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. And probably just quoting Choi like allegedly and being like, that's their Boston accent right. or something. <laughs> right. But yeah, I think that maybe sure. is perhaps a testament to the movie. We'll get into how we feel about it. But the it's fact that someone- to Eric yeah, too to his, for- uh, to, we're putting aside that irritation, which I cannot totally understand. Right, those are some of the best movie moments too, or the ones that like you're just really going into it thinking I'm going to hate this movie, and then you're just pleasantly surprised, like yeah. wow, that movie did not suck as much as I thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah, I think that's happened more often than I've gone into a movie thinking it's going to be great and it's ended up being really bad. That that's happened more. I that think you've so. been but pleasantly I think that's surprised. Just me, yeah, being super cynical. <laughs> Yeah, could be. But I think actually I, I might amend my my uh, my statement because this podcast has made us watch movies we used to be excited about, mm-hmm. and yeah. it has sort of been like, eh, I don't I don't like it as much as I. Well, sometimes, not always, though. No, but it has opened up that possibility more frequently. Well, Um, so this is not a movie that I necessarily have great right. I was going to say let's let's talk about our expectations going into this one. uh, You know, wrapping that into maybe first experiences. I I don't know that yours is all that. No, it's not exciting. I've seen it once. I, I think I was in high school, maybe early college. Now, how old were you when it came out? I was thirteen. I don't. I won't say it, it was overhyped for me because I definitely didn't see it during like peak hype. I was going to say I think I saw it around the time Fighting Forrester came out because that was mm. Gus Van Sant's other savant movie. Um, I remember that kind of being like the lesser Goodwill Hunting. Right. I, I had seen a, a, quite a bit Gus Van Sant before I watched Goodwill Hunting, uh, like Drugstore Cowboy, My Own Private Idaho. I think I saw Elephant before I saw Goodwill Hunting. I'm not sure. In any case, uh, I saw Goodwill Hunting, and the experience was more along the lines of like finally recognizing the scenes people had kept quoting um, or referring to. People around me had been like so emotionally affected by it, like mm. oh, that movie made me cry so much, and I, it didn't have that effect on me. But I do remember being like moved by the therapy sessions with Matt Damon. But yeah, generally, I was it was just uh, all I could say at the end of it was that I could verify that I had seen it right. You can and check the box off. I yeah. didn't. I didn't love it. There's something about the way people talk about a movie like Goodwill Hunting that I think is going to make me disappointed because I don't know if movies have that effect on me. Mm. Certainly not those types of movies that people have that reaction to. So what do you? What kind of things do they say when that? When you? When you're talking about that? Like, is it or is it just something you see in their face? Almost well, like, yeah, I think so, and they're they're so like moved and connected to the movie. Yeah, yeah, and like it was almost more than just a. It's not. It's more than a movie. Yeah, like it's it spoke like to an them experience. in some way. Yeah. yeah, and I can. I I've, maybe it's just cynical, and I'm just like I won't allow myself to be spoken to by a movie like this. But I just don't feel like I get spoken to by a movie like this in that way. By a movie like this, right? Yeah. And so there's going to be a disconnect between the way those people talk about it and the way I experience it. And I think at the time, I don't know if I was good at divorcing those two and saying like, well, that's their experience with it. That's, this is my experience of it. Can I evaluate the movie? Right. Or can I evaluate the movie in the way I see it and not feel the need to push back on the way they saw it? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I, I probably had a more negative reaction to it than I needed to, but I didn't hate it. I don't yeah. even know if I rated it on Letterboxd. Okay. Well, then, so, you know, even if you had, it probably would have been like, what, like a three, three and a half, yeah, something like that. Something like that. One yeah. of those verified I saw it, didn't hate it. In your mind, a, a bit of a harmless movie. Right. Yeah, I get you. And I actually think that partly through doing this podcast that has helped me to do what you're talking about, of being able to say, like, agree. you had this experience with the movie. I did not. But rewatching it, I can say I value it this way. You're absolutely right that it's more, the more we've talked and been able to like say, can you calm down and not be such an <laughs> asshole about this? Yeah. Which, you know, 
may, might make for a little less interesting listening when there's just not, <laughs> yeah, not as much fighting. Yeah. But still, you know, I think yeah. we are seeing value in the, the different ways we see movies. Uh, so I'll talk about my experience. I would say um, I've got a little bit more of a story to it, but nothing. I, I kind of had the same experience you did as far as what I thought of the movie. Like it was just kind of a, a decent movie to me. But I did see this weirdly in the theater, and I think I was 15. Uh, so it's pretty. Well, I was going to say you're about the age that this is not the kind of R rating that you wouldn't be able to see as right. a 15 year old. Right. And remember, this is what 97, right? Correct. So this is uh, also Titanic, Titanic year, LA Confidential, right? And big uh, year. We talked. About it was this a really year big year. Yeah. I think I had stronger experiences with both of those movies than mm-hmm. I did with Good Will Hunting. But my memory of that time in my life just seems very vivid to me. Yeah. So you know, um, I was like a freshman or sophomore. I don't. <laughs> It was so vivid, I can't remember which wow. one. <laughs> yeah, just crystal, <laughs> crystal clear. But my memory of the movie is more about me seeing it than the movie itself. And I don't need to really go too much into it because that'd be super boring to everyone. But like, really, it was that I was just starting to get involved in this um, youth group at a Lutheran church. It's a very, very small youth group, just more actually just a group of kind of misfits, I would say. Uh-huh. Uh, if any of them are listening, I meant that in the most like lovable way because <laughs> they welcomed me. Yeah. And I loved it. And there was a youth director who uh, was not you know, a youth pastor, he was just more someone who was like, you know, maybe in his early twenties and trying to go into counseling. And they were like, Hey, you should run the youth group, you know? So he was the youth director yeah. and I ended up becoming really good friends with him. And I'm still really good friends with him. But I think he just kind of noticed that I needed a group. Like I needed to find belonging somewhere. And I remember like they, this group, it was like him and a couple of the older people, like the upperclassmen of the high school, they were all going to go see Goodwill Hunting. And the reason they were going to see it was because all the girls Love Matt Damon. <laughs> they really were like totally like, I got to see this new Matt Damon uh-huh. movie. And um, I just got invited along to just tag along basically. And yeah. I was, I knew nothing about the movie, but that's the only reason I wanted to go is because I just wanted to hang out with this group. And uh, we went and they loved it. Like they just thought it was the greatest movie. Um, of course they were going crazy over Matt Damon. He looked so hot in the movie. Um, Classic 90s kind of butt cut. Yep, yep, yep. Like you were saying, it's a rated R that is okay for someone to see who's maybe a little bit younger, but it's also just a movie that's not, that wasn't really for me. I wasn't at that place in my life where I was thinking about those things. You know, I was too young. Mm -hmm. And so I never really had that connection with it that they did because they were kind of like just starting to think about college and things like that. I wasn't there. And I was enough entertained by the movie and enough moved by it to stay with it but it really didn't have that type of effect on me that you know you talked about other people having and i never really felt like i needed to watch it again i remember watching the oscars and kind of like thinking that's cool that matt and ben won and i was like that's cool that they won but i don't i didn't really understand why yeah i guess I thought it was great that Robin Williams won because I really remember loving Robin that Robin performance. Williams. And I yeah. love Robin Williams because we talk about Hook yeah. and, you know. Big part of our childhood. So I remember being like, okay, I wasn't mad that it won things or anything like that. And I didn't have like a backlash against it. But I just never really thought about it much after that. And I never really did. I know you mentioned that you've heard people talk with this really deep affection towards yeah. Goodwill Hunting. I personally have never really heard that. that. I've never really encountered people who love the movie. I never really even thought to rewatch it. Except before we got this message from Eric, I think I must have been watching something newer with mm-hmm. Matt Damon or Ben Affleck and being like, I wonder how that movie holds up, you know, yeah. especially, which I know we're going to get into, but, you know, just it being about masculinity so much yeah. and about it being, you know, a, a Harvey Weinstein movie, and yeah. a, movie. a movie that propelled him to his powers to, <laughs> right. to a degree. And also just remembering certain scenes of it that... I didn't know if they were troubling, but I just remember it being sort of like a boys hanging out and kind of causing trouble and wondering like, was there stuff in there I didn't see before? And just being curious about how it would hold up. I don't even remember that stuff when I think about the movie. Oh, no. Yeah. I I think... I don't know why, but I remembered the part talking about masturbating into the baseball glove. Oh, yeah. I did not remember that until it happened. And I think part of the reason I remembered it was being with this youth group crowd. And that was the one part that made me kind of squirm Everybody a little was bit. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know about <laughs> that. I, I think when I say that I hear people talk about it a lot, I think what I'm I'm thinking about is my students, almost every class when I ask, when I get a new class and we talk mm-hmm. about favorite movies, 
every time somebody will say Goodwill Hunting is their favorite movie, and that oh, that that's one of those movies that Alyssa allows. Oh yeah, oh, oh I love that yeah. movie. I am super curious to hear your thoughts on this as a high school English teacher. Okay, honestly, good boy. Uh, Letterbox wise, I had it on there as a three and a half. Um, oh, so I, wow. so we start off at odds. <laughs> Half star. Buckle odds. your seatbelts. <laughs> this is gonna be rough. All right, Nate. All right. On the rewatch, you asking me to go first? Half star. I um. You know what? I'm hoping through talking about it, we'll flesh it out a little bit more. But I was I was kind of taken with this movie. I'm okay. gonna I'm gonna bring it up to a four star. Interesting. Um, it wasn't a five star like amazing experience, but you know I connected with it more this time around than I yeah. did the last time. But I'm going to say, before we completely move on, I know it's just supposed to be kind of a starting yeah. point, but I'm going to say that there were mixed emotions around that, I mm. guess, um, for a lot of different reasons, most of which don't even have a whole lot to do with the movie itself, mm. like as a movie. Intriguing. So we'll talk about those mixed emotions, but I want to hear your your baseline here. Yeah, I'd say it moved, it would move up for me. I don't know if it would go to four all the way. Okay. It's either a more informed and assured three or a three and a half. But I can see talking me up. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. All right. I like that. So, um, you know, a little difference there. But, uh, you know, let's, let's, so maybe, why don't we, well, let's just, let's, so for me, this is Robin Williams' movie. I am here for Robin Williams. That's, I think, where a lot of the mixed feelings come in. It, it is such a great Robin Williams performance, I think. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Those are the scenes you're glued to the movie. He is really the heart of this movie. Yep. Those awe feelings, I feel like, your students are, are telling you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can almost guarantee they're thinking of a Robin Williams mm-hmm. scene in that. Yeah. Uh, and, there, you know, there's the big ones. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot Everyone. of subtle things, too. Yes, there's so scene. There are so many subtle things even in the scenes where he's not with matt damon mm-hmm. that um, like that scene we played at the beginning um mm-hmm. with him and stellan skarsgård you're seeing so much in his face yes like he embodies that grief mm-hmm. that he's going through in the movie which i think knowing what eventually and i i, I want to avoid doing that I, I get what you're saying because i did it too like as i was watching i was like there's so much genuine well, that he's able to convey. Yes, and even as I was saying it, I stopped myself because I don't want to go there either. Because he's a good actor, right? That's you the know, thing. like we shouldn't look at anybody exactly. who who goes on to have a tragedy happen like that, right? And go and look at all their right. stuff and be like, well, he wasn't acting in that moment, right? Right. Like, I guess you don't want to look at like Philip Seymour Hoffman, right. the scene where he's strung out and be like, wow, oh, it was right oh, there oh, all along. No, yeah, no, they're an actor. He was a great. great actor yes like I, yeah and i want to affirm that as well like that's not what i'm really getting at i guess but the mixed when, emotions yes. are that you i'll say i miss robin williams deeply yes and i'm reminded of that when i watch a performance yes. like this and so the mixed emotions come in that i see myself being moved by him portraying someone in pain i do to a degree think about his pain and that that's the pain that made him leave. That's why he's no longer with us. And I'm so deeply appreciative of the performance and in awe of the skill that the performance is exhibiting and feeling very sad that we won't see any more performances like that and that we don't have Robin Williams with those performances, but we also don't have Robin Williams, the genuine, caring, beautiful human that he was. Right. Like when I watch Goodwill Hunting and I see that performance, I realized how much of a source of comfort his roles were to yep. me. Yep. And not just in that movie. No. I, I even think of like the scene in Mrs. Doubtfire yep. where he's talking about his kids being ripped from him. Yes. He's just a really powerful actor. Yeah. There are scenes in Hook that we yep. talked about. You know, and I think this movie is just so chock full of those types of Robin Williams moments. You watch it and you're kind of like, man, that was, you know, he had a way of really reaching yeah. right into your heart. And Even he could do it with a look, genie. you he know? Could do it with his vo- yeah. He could do it with his, he could do with his look, voice. But he could do yeah. it with his voice. I, I just, to me, the quintessential like Robin Williams comfort is the smile that melts. Yes. 
he was so good at that. And it is all over this movie. And I'll say, we didn't talk about Robin Williams at all at the close of the last episode when we talked about Goodwill Hunting. Right. And I think we were both avoiding it. <laughs> you think so? We just I didn't, do. We didn't, we didn't want to... For me, I, I, I don't know. I think I was honestly avoiding the, 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 the topic of Robin Williams. But I, I think you're right. For both of us, he is, which in, in and of itself is a strange concept. Mm-hmm. He is someone who's meant so much to us. Right. Primarily for me, from Hook, a movie people hate. Right. Well, a we movie talked that's about not this. Not very good, right? But like, we can't separate ourselves from it. There's just something he. Uh, the more the more I watch him, and I think this might be top of his game, Robin Williams. Maybe sure. Uh, as far as like exhibiting acting, yeah, it's like wow, we we lost a lot when we lost Robin Williams. So it's not that like conflating. Oh, he was only good at, at, at portraying pain because he was feeling so much pain. Yeah. He maybe was able to have that speak to his craft, but he was able to exhibit that much pain and sorrow and tenderness because he was a great actor. Right. I don't think it's so much that we're saying that you can see the grief he always had in him in this performance, but yeah. it is a character that is embodied by yes, grief. Yes, yeah. And so I think what's a little hard to watch is someone who you know dealt with these issues with depression and grief and you're watching a character who um again we're not saying that that's how he was able to pull that off but you're just watching him portray a character that you're wondering is this someone who's very close to him mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and we we can't go f- too far down that road really no. uh, but i just can say from my personal experience watching it that this movie gave me sort of an aching grief you don't know about real loss because it only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. I look at you. I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, shitless kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my fucking life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been? How you feel? Who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. Beyond Robin Williams' performance, I think the scenes work. The ones without Robin Williams. Uh, I'm saying the scenes with Robin Williams. Oh, okay. Aside from Robin Williams' performance, so like the development of them, the the writing of them, Matt Damon in them, mm-hmm. their their interplay, I think they work. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's not just there's a bit of a chess game going on. There. Yes, and that that's on Matt Damon too. Uh-huh. You know the way that he is able to show these defense mechanisms mm-hmm. um, and and show, and you can see how this Robin Williams psychologist over time is able to break these down. Yeah. You know, to his credit, Matt Damon holds his own against yeah. it's not that, not that Robin Williams was looking to act him out of the room or anything, but like, it's not like there's this huge imbalance right. in those scenes. Yeah. Well, you even take something like the first scene, there's not a whole lot going on as far as emotion in that mm-hmm. scene until the very end when obviously Robin Williams is triggered by what Matt Damon says and right. grabs him Chokes by the him. neck. Yeah. And what you're really watching is this power play between the two of them. And I think that there's a lot going on in even Matt Damon's performance there where you can even see just in little smirks here and there, little little sort of physical gestures he's doing mm-hmm. that you can see where he's realizing, oh, I found a chink here in the yeah. armor. And it's not overplayed, right. you know, in the acting. I right. feel like it's a very smart performance, is. which is actually more Matt Damon and I think in that early scene. Maybe you married the wrong woman. Maybe you should watch your mouth. Watch it right there, Chief, all right? Uh, 
That's it, isn't it? You married the wrong woman. What happened? Did she leave you? Was she, you know, banging some other guy? If you ever disrespect my wife again, I will end you. I will fucking end you. Got that, Chief? Time's up. To say one, at least one last thing about Robin Williams for now. Um, what's impressive about this performance is somebody who's so known for his energy is like, ceaseless energy it's his quietness that is so powerful in mm. this movie in scenes where people are getting emotional and he is maintaining that calm voice or where he is sitting back and like and he's almost always sitting back just like being a solid presence but still not just passive and not just like an energy drain he's like still this kind of like simmering energy in that quietness and some of it's coming through in sadness in his eyes but also parts of it are coming through like you see his mind working as he's trying to figure mm-hmm. will yeah. out and he's trying to be there for will but trying to be there for will in a way that will can fall into rather than in a way that's like rushing out right. towards him his quietness is just so strong and so steady and so comforting mm-hmm. to viewers let alone to will so I think that that's part of what is moving us so much about his performance is that there's so much happening in that quietness. Right. He is really the character in this movie who is helping Will to work out his problems. And so I think for especially other people who might be coming of age, other men especially who are coming of age or in a similar place in their life, it's hard not to watch that movie and feel like he's kind of talking to you, yeah. you know, and that it's almost like your therapy session. And you start to think, Oh man, wouldn't it be great to have a therapist like this Mm -hmm. or to have even just a friend like this Mm -hmm. or a father like this? I can see why this movie is so powerful for so many people because they project themselves onto the Matt Damon character. Who's kind of just an exaggerated version of what, a lot of men do at that age and throughout their sure. entire life, you know? Yeah. Um, and what a lot of men want to be. Yeah. Like, yeah. supernaturally talented, right? <laughs> good-looking, mm-hmm. fit, yep. charismatic, commanding every room, able to beat up a tough guy and take it to a uppity grad yes. student. I, I actually wrote in my notes, this is this is every man's wet dream, basically. <laughs> like, being Matt Damon in this For movie. who they want to be. Yes. yes. It doesn't have to be math. But the idea that you could have this given talent that other people work their that entire even lives experts for. are in yes. awe of, yes, yeah, and that, that isn't difficult for you is never a challenge for you, the, and, and 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 that you could be someone who um, can kind of stick it to the elites and stick it to the people who think that you don't deserve it because you do deserve it. Right. You just don't want it. You just you, the only thing you're just smarter you enough is, and better enough to say I don't need to flaunt it like you do or yeah. whatever. And then you've always got the right thing to say and. And the um, only thing holding you back is not your fault. Right. <laughs> you don't have to own up to any problems you have. <laughs> so, yes, in that yeah. sense, I think, and that's not to necessarily poke a huge gaping hole in the movie, although maybe it is. But I think that that's just the reality of what I think a lot of people see in the movie, Definitely. myself included. That's what I was myself included. I, I think I watched this movie this time around and I was like, I'm not a will hunting. I don't have this like thing that I'm just born great at and and people really want. But the movie makes it very clear that he's at the at the core he's a good dude. Yeah. He's a good dude who's smart uh and just needs someone to tell him everything's okay and you're going to be fine. Yeah. And this movie, if you can see any of that in yourself, mm-hmm. you get it. Yeah. You get someone telling you, you're going to be okay. You're a good person. You're going to be fine. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's got every hallmark of like teen desires yeah. of undiscovered talent. Like I just have nobody, nobody just recognizes how yeah. great I yeah. am. Um, being able to tell the establishment off, like Sean's big dressing down of Jerry about like, you don't do this to this kid and he blah, blah, blah. It's like what most kids want an adult to do for them or wish they could say to their fathers oh sure yeah boys say to their fathers um or to whatever teacher or guidance counselor or person who they feel like is an impediment and doesn't get their dreams or Mm -hmm. whatever yeah i i I don't think it's bad 
it also lets any and I'm going to stick with men because I really do think this is kind of a man's movie. I agree. I think it lets any man in any sort of type of position or class see themselves in it too because it also validates the working man and it never invalidates that. Right. You know, and it also validates the, to a degree, the intellectual, although you're not allowed to be someone who worked hard for it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But it does validate that that's a valuable thing. It does invalidate to a degree Jerry. The math professor? Yeah, yeah. the math professor, who is someone who worked hard at it, cares about it, and achieves success. Right. Who is more validated is Will, who doesn't work hard at it, has all the opportunities, but isn't required to take them if he doesn't want them. And it also validates Sean, somebody who could have but didn't, and it, which maybe is not unhealthy because everywhere else in society we see the myth of the meritocracy being upheld that if you're in a position you must have worked hard you must have proven yourself to be the best and whatever which is you know not true in every case so to take someone down a peg it makes a little bit of sense but not when it is somebody who actually has worked hard <laughs> And cared in Jerry, who's a pretty insufferable caricature of an intellectual. Oh, and he he calls math erotic. Yeah, and hits on the girls. That, so yeah, we'll get into that. That's a whole other thing. Yuck. But that's also part of the movie's yes. attempt to, yeah. to take him down a few pegs. Right. You're supposed to think he's a creep for that. It's not like it's saying that's a really funny thing, or you know. Right, right, right. I will say this though, and I I don't know who the credit goes to, if it's in the screenplay or if it goes to Gus Van Sant, I do feel like even though he's a creep, he's that sort of typical sage on the stage, just kind of asshole professor. Mm-hmm. It does come through that he does care mm-hmm. about the field of mathematics. Like he, he does seem to yeah. care about ideas yeah. and care about the what this kid could do. It's not, it is partly for his own you know, satisfaction and for his own, like what he thinks he's going to maybe get out of this kid. But he also but, thinks the, but world, he also thinks be the world needs it. He also yeah. understands that there's value to this knowledge that exists outside of himself. Yeah. This isn't about me, Sean. I'm, I'm nothing compared to this young man. Who over here with Gerald Lambo? In 1905, there were hundreds of professors renowned for their study of the universe, but it was a was a 26-year-old Swiss patent clerk doing physics in his spare time who changed the world. Can you imagine if Einstein would have given that up just to get drunk with his buddies in Vienna every night? We all would have lost something. Tim would never have heard him. Pretty dramatic, Jerry. No, it isn't, Sean. This boy has that gift. He just hasn't got the direction, but we can give that to him. And I think that that's a credit to the movie to at least make him a little less one-dimensional. Yeah, he's not trying to take credit for the the, the work no, Will no. can do. No, no, and that he would be a really to, easy device right. in the movie to say. Uh, I mean, don't you think it'd be super Agreed, easy to yeah. be like, I, I, you know, I'll just take the credit for this. If right. you're not, if you're not going to work at it, I'll yeah. just tell, I'll just take you, your formulas and I'll get the job right. and I'll do the, you know. Yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's made out to be a complete villain, but there are times there were times where I was watching it and he he kind of the way he walks into a room or the way he orders Perrier at the bar and mm-hmm. Sean tells him like sparkling water is fancy or something. Yeah, like that. but you know what is interesting is that he ultimately is right about Will. He just it's just that right. Will only will let Chucky, played by Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. or Sean be the one to tell it to him or help right. him realize it. Yeah. But ultimately, it is what he was saying all along. Right. That you need to do something more with your life. You know. But, and what that is, is what they debate about and what Will only ultimately has to figure out for himself. Yeah. But I think Will had, had higher priorities in his friends and in his past that Jerry just wasn't speaking to. Yeah. Well, and I think that it gets down to what Sean points out where even if he is right, his method isn't going to work. I wondered, is it realistic that a judge would just say to a professor, all right, I won't put him in jail. He's in your care. (laughs) Hard to say. But you have to find a psychologist for him. That just feels like a sitcom trope. Uh Like Like in a bad comedy, it would be like, all right, all right, but he's yours to take care of. And then it ends up being like a sort of, like a... there's like a guitar, like an odd like, couple kind of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That, like that's how we have to figure like, out. All right, how but he's like, your problem. Yeah, yeah, it was like 
three quarters of the way through the movie, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Could a professor just be like, I'm a professor of mathematics and this boy is a genius? <laughs> well, then he's your responsibility. <laughs> the other two things that I would say I'm here for this movie for are, and I didn't expect this, Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think he adds a spark to those scenes that make me interested in them, even though I still am like, they don't need to be in this movie, really. And I also read on IMDb that uh, he improvised a lot of his scenes and pissed Ben Affleck and Matt Damon off <laughs> that he wouldn't say what he, they wrote for him. Um, that's just funny to me that it's, Casey yeah. Affleck was just like giving his brother noogies the whole time, basically. <laughs> Which you wonder if, if if it also serviced the work I too. Think it like does. it does, it just yeah. made them sort of annoyed with this, you know, yeah, this twerp who is just... supposed to be annoying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Double burger. Chuck, I had a double burger. Did you shut the fuck up? I know what you ordered. I was there. So give me that fucking sandwich. You mean your sandwich? I bought it. Morgan, how much money you got on you? I said I could change when I got the snow call. I said that before when we pulled up. Why don't you just give me my sandwich and stop being a prick? All right, well, give me a fucking 16. So I'm here for KCF. I'm here for Robin Williams primarily. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm here for KCF. Like, All right. I'm here for Elliot Smith. Yes. Just that early scene, the Elliot Smith drive home early in the morning. It's just a beautiful, great mm-hmm. scene. That's what like Gus Van Sant's Art of Your Side brings to this movie. Those those moments of real beauty and 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 mood. And this is this is pre Wes Anderson Royal Tenenbaums, right? Uh, right. Elliot Smith, the hay, right? Yeah. But yeah, I but mean, you're it's, right. It's, it's just it, an interesting choice for this type of movie. It adds a, a, a solemnness to it, really. You which, know, and, which I and think, it calms you down a little bit. I think yeah, when you're watching. I think it, it adds a credibility to any emotional depth that you might consider accidental. But like say, well, the people who would choose Elliot Smith to 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 be the soundtrack for this have to understand then the depth of emotion Mm -hmm. that they're they're plumbing here it's such a beautiful and perfect contribution to the movie yeah um and i mean maybe that's a good lead into i had this strange tinge of like nostalgia watching it even though i didn't have a connection to the movie early on right but it was a nostalgia for that type of movie that i don't think this movie could be made now um i just think it's kind of a movie of its time yeah um there's a nostalgia for like i'm sorry you you see kind of a more baby-faced matt damon and ben affleck and it's kind of like it it takes you back to like i don't know it's a weird like simpler times almost like Mm -hmm. a time when matt damon and ben affleck were just getting started and you didn't know what was going to happen with they were just having having fun a time when you know not to be too dark but elliot smith and robin williams were alive and a time when uh, Harvey, we didn't know about Harvey Weinstein and a time when, you know, we didn't know about even, you know, you mentioned Ke- Casey Affleck. I mean, he's got his own crap yeah, that we're dealing yeah. with now. And, um, and a time when you could have, not that I'm saying I want more of this, but just a time where you had just these movies that were straight up just about dudes coming of age, um, without wondering like, do we need this story or, yeah. you know, we've had enough of this mm-hmm. or, you know, um, and I'm not, and, and, those are valid questions. Those are valid. Even a valid thing to ask. They're super the valid questions. Um, but, but you know, it's it, and it was just sort of this. I don't know how to explain it other than just sort of like a, a nostalgic grief I had watching it, yeah. almost like a mourning watching. Yeah, this yeah, movie. yeah. And I don't, I don't, you know, and and also nostalgic even for realizing that this is a movie that I watched when it was too early for me, and I think I watch now when it's too late. Mm. Yeah. That this movie never hit me right where it was supposed to, but now I'm actually looking at it probably more from the side of like where Robin Williams was coming from. Sure, um, that's yeah. That's you know what I mean? True. And and then you know, like the the Howard Zinn stuff and mm-hmm. the like, the kind of intellectual arguments he makes are the same ones I made. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I was in mm-hmm. you know post college reading Howard Zinn for the first time and really just kind of opening my eyes to like different ways of thinking about the world and politics. And you kind of see 
in the Will Hunting character, these ideas sort of flourishing. And I remember what, the first time I watched the movie, his big, long monologue about why he doesn't want to take the Working job. The NSA, yeah. And being like, okay, I'm not supposed to get all this. And watching it now and being like, I'm following all of this. I'm, I'm tracking with this. <laughs> and because you know that he's really good at reading, saying that fast it, yeah. and believably. It's like, that's like, uh, you know, get him in a Sorkin movie. Yeah, you know? exactly. Why hasn't that happened? Um, but, you know, I, I guess it's, you're saying, yeah. it's just this, and it's a movie that is so much about life. Like yeah. just the big capital L life. Like, and it right. tries to be like, you know, yeah. whether it succeeds or not, we can debate on that, but it tries to be a movie that tries to tell you a way that A little you transparently at times, which is where it kind of, yeah, might falter a little bit, but but you know what? It but it's also being really earnest and honest about it, it may, and it comes through. Yes, it's authentic. I can absolutely identify the the feeling you're talking about. I feel like I get that feeling every spring. Yeah, th- and well, or even just changing seasons, fall transition spring. seasons. Yeah. I don't know if this takes place in the fall, but it feels like a fall movie to me. Yeah, spring is mainly the transition season that does it for me. Um, and I don't think everybody feels it. I, I definitely have good feelings in spring, but there's also just this remembering sadness that mm-hmm. that that comes over me every spring. I, I I think about people from my past a lot more in the spring. Um, I think about you know I just kind of like reflect on my life more yeah. in the spring for whatever reason. It just made me reflect on a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't you know it made me reflect on my life a lot when I watched it. Um, but I also again I, not to repeat myself, but I kind of felt like it was a little too late. I saw myself more in Robin Williams' shoes, I guess, mm-hmm. where it's not, I, I didn't have that same event happen where like I'm grieving, a, I'm not a widower right. or anything like that. But I do feel like I'm kind of just set where I'm at and this is my life. But it was weird because the movie was still affirming. Like I didn't right. feel like I was, it wasn't just drumming. It didn't put me into a depression and, or anything. Right. Didn't make me feel like I was doing anything wrong. Yeah, I had a student ask me this week if I believed in free will. And I feel like looking forward, I believe in free will. And looking backward, I believe in determinism. <laughs> That's a really that good way I to say, play. like, yeah. going forward, I have options. And it's important to keep in mind my ability to choose and the fact that what I do in my life provides the direction of my life. But looking back, Every option I didn't take disappears because the only thing that's true about those options is that I didn't take them. And so looking back, I only ever had one path to where I am. Looking forward, there are possibilities, but those regrets melt away Mm -hmm. when you look at the path you took. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's a sadness to the loss of those options. There's an affirmation of the path that you're on and there's an excitement about the possibility of the choices. And I think that that is something that is embodied in a lot of characters in this movie, in this movie. Yeah. You know, what you see a lot in this movie is Matt Damon coming to the realization that your decisions and whatever power you have in your abilities could influence other people. Mm his decisions affect the Skylar character. His decisions and the way he acts affects his psychologist, you know? Well, um, and his indecision is affecting Chucky. Right. Like when he is, and by the way, I'm a sucker for the, you know the best part of my day speech. I loved it in it's good. Love it's Actually. Good. Yeah. I love it in this movie. I love it in every movie that, that does that. But Chucky says, like, it, it's killing me yeah. to see you here. I don't know. I, I I was kind of surprised watching this movie, how deep it goes with some of these themes. And this is written by essentially like, you know, what I would consider now kids. Yeah, <laughs> Not really. I mean, but they were like in their 20s. 20s yeah. I think what this movie does is it takes things that we all think about. Yeah. A lot of these things are things that were floating around in my head years ago. And I maybe have thought about them a lot more in different ways and come to yeah. different conclusions. But, you know, I think that this movie, it unabashedly deals with these big themes, sometimes actually just blurting them out and talking about them. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know, gives you kind of a healthy channel and way to think about it. Yeah, posi- I wonder... It's, do you think the positivity in this movie is, is cheap? I honestly wanted it to be. I, I wanted to be able to write it off as saccharin mm-hmm. i think there are i think it it, it 
gets right up gets, to the. I think right it gets the, in that range sometimes. Okay. I think. Uh, I think Skyler is way too set up as the cool girl. Like, look, she can tell a dirty joke. Look, she laughs at everything. Look, she's goofy. Look, she's pretty. When she gets emotional, it's because just because she loves him so much. Like, so any any emotion that he has to deal with is easy for men to look at and be like, bro, she just loves you. So I think in those situations, it's being too simplistic and uh, cheesy. But I do think that the the positivity worked. Because what's happening for me now is I'm, I'm remembering this song by Pedro the Lion called Rejoice, which was so profound to me. I feel, I feel like it is still profound, but it speaks more to my sensibility of cynicism than Goodwill Hunting does. But it's a very short, lyrically a very short song that says, wouldn't it be so wonderful if everything was meaningless, but everything is so meaningful and most everything turns to shit, rejoice. And that like back and forth, just in four lines mm-hmm. of wouldn't it be so wonderful if everything was so meaning was meaningless, which usually when you talk about things being meaningless, it's a despairing thought, but in goodwill hunting for will, it is a help, a comforting thought. I would love it if my choices didn't matter to other people. Right, but like right. you were saying, Chucky tells him, Sean tells him, Skylar tells him, no, you're, you are affecting us. Whether you choose or not, you're affecting other right. people. Um, and so everything is so meaningful. And when Will and when 17, 18-year-old Ryan looked at things being meaningful, I say I would look at it and say, but everything that's meaningful is bullshit. Right. But don't you think if you're willing to listen, mm-hmm. the movie tries to answer that? No, I do. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and I'm saying the song does too. Yeah. And the song just says rejoice. Which is essentially what the, the Which is what says. the movie's saying. Yeah. I know. It's saying like... Yeah, everything's meaningful, and it's all going to go bad in one way or another. So you just need to rejoice. Right. For for Will, that's admit you've got a talent and foster that. Admit you've got a love and go after right. that. Admit right. you've connected with people and feed yourself with those connections and feed those other people through those connections. So everything's going to fall apart. That doesn't mean that the things that are good, you can't rejoice in. Right. And that's what's so, I think, convincing about the Sean character is that's a person where everything did fall apart, and he's not despairing about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. He's grieving. He's very sad. Right. And he eventually, even he gets through a breakthrough moment where he realizes he needs to give it another shot. Right. But he's not regretful. And right. He doesn't think, I never should have done that. Mm-hmm. And you also get the sense, uh, at least I did, the way it ends with the car just driving off on the horizon, you know, Classic Gus Van Sant shot. It's true to the movie in that that could all go to shit. Yep. He's even in a shitty car. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that by him going towards Skyler that that's going to be even a good relationship. But the movie at least ends true enough to say, we don't know. We don't actually know if this is a long-lasting change. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think so. Um, but you see through the Robin Williams character that that decision is worth it. Mm-hmm. And even if it ends up being a bad decision or one that causes a lot of pain, the movie right. is saying it's still worth right. it. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, he references gotta go see about a girl, which right. we know for Robin Williams ended with his wife dying. I, I think you're right. I still have questions about the uh, it's not your fault scene. Does it still work? It's not your fault. Hmm. I know. It's not your fault. All right, don't fuck with me, Sean. Not you. It's not your fault. Narratively, it works. Yes. As, as a part of the narrative. I know this is the most effective scene for a lot of people, but for whatever reason, that wasn't where I was emotional. I was emotional in other scenes in this movie. There was, uh, I recommend people watch it. There's a, there's a video on YouTube. It's a series 
uh, called Lessons from the Screenplay uh, that breaks down psychology in the screenplay of Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. And it talks about just in the, the method of screenwriting, why that scene's so important and why it hits so many people so hard. And what I can't explain is that I rewatched that scene in the YouTube movie and I got emotional. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Like when it was explained to me the purpose it served, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes if you want to watch it. But the way that he explains it is that this is a traditional hero's journey story. Mm. But this is a hero's journey where they're going to make the case that people can change. Not every story does. And you basically have a wounded character, and then you have their defense mechanisms. And the viewer is always in on what those defense mechanisms are. And we certainly are with with Will. Sean says, Um, it's a defense mechanism. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got allies that come to his side and slowly break apart the defense mechanisms. Um, So you got that through his buddies. You got that through Skylar. You got that obviously through Sean. Um, And the way that the narrative structure is set up is for the hero to eventually have all of those walls crumble down in a moment. Mm. And that moment is called catharsis. And it's catharsis for the character, but it's also catharsis for the the audience. audience. And that it needs that if you are going to believe that people can really change. And when I saw that, I kind of thought, well, there you go. So, you know, maybe it's not so cheap. The YouTube clip did make a point to say that you also need to show some regressions in there as well. And it did display a few small instances of that. Mm-hmm. Like when he, you know, obviously breaks up, breaks up with Skylar, that's a regression and it's painful. It's in the screenplay that Matt Damon looks her right in the eye and says, I don't love you. Mm-hmm. That that's a p- important to them, that that is... yeah. That, that you, see, you see it as a regression. Yes. And so, you know, when I saw it that way, and then I actually just finally, they showed the catharsis scene, and I was like, yeah, this is seeing someone on a journey yeah. actually change. Yeah. And I've reached a point in my life, and I think we've reached a point where we talk about, you know, uh, the way people think politically or the way people, I get in the mindset that people can't change. Yeah. People will not change. They right. are who they are. Right. And this movie is a challenge to that. Yeah. And it's a challenge to me on yeah. that. Like, if I still even believe that, do yeah. I still believe people can really change? Right. Well, and it's, and that's part of what's a problem with the scene is that it's such a quick and easy change, yeah. really an easy change. Just keep repeating, it's not your fault. Right. And eventually, you know. Yeah. Do you mean, <laughs> did it work as far as you weren't convinced that that would have been effective? I in know a, in, that wouldn't be effective in a therapy session. Yeah. So no, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I I guess did it affect you emotionally? Do you think it works narratively? I think narratively like I said it does, like you just said it does. It's got a very clear function and it it achieves that function. I don't know. There's just something about it that pulled me out of it in the moment. Mm-hmm. It might just be that at that point we had already seen and fairly recently seen a bunch of scenes that are just like my emotions mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, like the dorm scene, just like how, with Skyler. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the last third of the movie, everybody's yelling all the time, <laughs> right? And now that you mentioned that, that might be why when it was pulled out of that, I was able to better. see it in that video that didn't show all those scenes all yeah. kind of couched around one another because yeah. it does get to be a lot, I yeah. think. Um, so I think uh, you you kind of touched on Minnie Driver's character. I did, yeah. But we probably should talk about that. She's a very functional character in this in this movie, um, and um, and another part of the fantasy. Of, yes, but it's a different fantasy than you do see in a lot of other movies. Well, certainly, um, it's a it's a smarter fantasy, but it's still a fantasy. She's not strictly a sexual fantasy, but she is an emotional fantasy. She's the same function as a manic pixie dream girl without being manic or pixie ish. She's doing that thing where she's there to just cheer him on. And despite his flaws, keep telling him everything that's great about him. She's not there to challenge him in any real way. She's only there to keep telling him how great he is and how much she wants him to be to wants to be with him. I'm gonna. I'm only gonna push back a little bit because I think you are. I think, Don't you dare. I think you're. I think you are oversimplifying it. No, I, I think you're right to a degree uh, in that she. The way she functions is pretty narrow. But I also don't know that she's only there to service him. She does challenge him. And she just she challenges his perception of who she is. 
like you mm-hmm. know he has an idea of who these Harvard people are. Is it Harvard or is she at MIT? She's at Harvard. Yeah, who these Harvard people are, and she pushes back on him quite a bit on that. And then also, um, you you get the feeling, which isn't true in a lot of these other movies that have this kind of relationship, that um, she would be extremely hurt by him, but she does not need him. She will move on. Yeah, and she does move on. And you had an airport scene. He's yeah. not there. I think that's how it's a little bit smarter. I think that still, at the end of the day, this is a man's movie, mm-hmm. um, and you're not going to get a female character that's as fully realized as we would yeah. want at this point, I think. When you do have a movie that is so much kind of the hero's journey, like you could say that about even the non-female characters. Like Chucky is only there to service him. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I don't find that as problematic. <laughs> sure. You know, of course not, you know. But that that's part of the that's part of the the narrative structure. Even is just that these are people who are there for him yeah. because he's the focus of the movie. Sure, but where all pushback is, there's no real indication that he's going to be accountable for the way he hurt her. That him showing mm-hmm. up is going to be enough. You know? Yeah. And you had a, you had several instances before that where he did push her away, and she always took him back, mm-hmm. um, which you know is very troubling because mm-hmm. if if he doesn't actually change that turns into a very abusive relationship. Right. I mean, like when he punches the wall yeah. and like she's still the one apologizing to him. So you really have to put a lot of stock in that hope that people really do change and that yes. that's going to turn into a healthy relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm with and you. I think, it's I not think, perfect. I get that. I think, that, but again, where the movie's cheesy and saccharine is that it does believe will change completely. It will work out. Right. Them. They're going to be fine because will has changed. End of story. Right. No, I agree. It's troubling. Um, it's just um, when I compare it to, well, the the term manic pixie dream girl, girl kind of came out of the Natalie Portman character in Garden State. Yeah. I just, I find the mini driver character just inherently different in some ways. There was a codependency in Garden State that yeah. I was uncomfortable with. Yes. With Goodwill Hunting, you know, I felt like they just loved each other, but there wasn't that codependence. That if he could get through what he was dealing with and if she, was forgiving was a troubling enough. disconnect one way what's that if anything there's a troubling disconnect yes but yeah it's a it's not something that the movie's going to answer for you no. or give or give you really an even even any good resolution on all right well um i, I so i i think you've moved me into four stars I you think, think so I really think, yeah but the, the, you know we, i think we're both acknowledging that there's still some troubling things in this movie but you're you're willing to kind of say four stars <laughs> is fine and yeah i'm not trying to talk you down this is this is great no i i i, I agree i think uh the way that the movie is doing things the skylar character is a little bit less irresponsibly handled but still troubling mm-hmm but like in the world of the movie, there is hope for her character. Right. That and the fact that, that like, they leave it open-ended enough yeah, is enough. She's got some agency there. But uh, overall, she's probably the, the, the most troubling part. Yeah. And maybe with that said, you know, we, we like this movie, but we don't really need another one like it. We need some no. different types yes. of stories, yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is uh this is another thank you for your service. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh I'm going to I'm going to keep mine at 4 and uh yeah, I mean uh, thanks to Eric for having yeah. us rewatch it because Probably wouldn't have picked it. Uh, no, I don't think we would have and uh it was a valuable rewatch for me and it sounds like it was for you as well. Yeah. Uh all right, so, so I guess that makes us best buds. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that's good. And um I guess now we can uh just talk about our next next episode yeah so for next time we are going back to 2004 so 15 years Mm -hmm. ago you're shaking your head you can't believe 2004 is 15 15 years years ago ago. that doesn't feel right i know it doesn't so putting the existential crisis that accompanies (laughs) that knowledge aside right which we seem to be having every episode by the way yeah just shocked (laughs) that time is passing (laughs) right Anyways, Anyways, so 2004. 2004, And um, at the same time, looking to the present, because we're watching a movie that is being rebooted now 15 years later. The movies share a title. They didn't even even try to do anything new with the title. So, listeners, can you guess? Not Star Wars. No, it's not Star Wars, because they changed the title with that one. It's, It's Hellboy. Hellboy. We're watching Guillermo del Toro's 2004 Hellboy. Not... Neil Marshall's 2019 right, Hellboy. Exactly. Maybe we will see. We might see it. 
knowing not, our life situations? Probably not. Probably not. It'll be interesting because I don't think you've seen this side of Guillermo del Toro. The Guillermo well, del Toro of Blade 2. No, I never the saw Guillermo that Guillermo del Toro of Hellboy and Hellboy 2. Nope. I guess you're right. You are more the... The Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, Devil's, Devil's Backbone. Backbone. Shape of Water. Shape of Water. Yeah. What Have You. Kronos. Yes. What Have You was a great movie. Oh, Guillermo del Toro's What Have You. Yeah. I love that one. And then the sequel and so forth. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the Spanish title is for that. E, e so forth. E so forth. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, so it'll be. I, I mean, beyond just do you like superhero movies? I, I think it'll be interesting to see where you see Guillermo del Toro in this. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I don't really. I feel like we've kind of. We, we don't need to rehash the whole superhero conversation about you know. Yeah, and I, I I don't think that that's necessarily going to be what we'll be doing. With okay, this one. good. This is all brand new to me. Yeah, completely. Because I'm wondering if our li- if a lot of our listeners have already seen it, or if they're going to be watching this like me for the first time. I have they, no idea. If they decide to watch it, I'd have to ask them. Well, there's a lot of ways that they could get in contact with us. <laughs> we have never segue. had a smoother How's segue. About that? I just saw the opening and I took you it. You did it. You said banter be damned. Right. And the funny thing is, now by commenting on it, we have... Opened com- up banter. Right. That's how smooth our transitions are. Right. They come and go. They ebb and flow. Like the shape of water. Oh, my gosh. Did you, did you hear that? You just did you hear it. that? I can't believe that. That is what you call a transition. I, I do call that a transition. Right. Here's would, another one. Oh, no. What? Let's talk about how people can get in touch with us. <laughs> you see that one? No, I don't see it. What, what am I not? What am I? I was missing? transitioning from what? Shape of water? Yeah. To there wasn't a connection, but it was a transition. Yeah, technically speaking, yes. 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 Good job. Good job. That's all I'm saying. Very good. Yeah. I thought. Tell me that wasn't a transition. It was a transition. The smooth aspect of it was what I, I was never promised. Right smooth. Okay. Good. I just said, um, look at this transition. Nice. That in it. itself told you it was not going to be smooth. You're right. You're right. I was. I had my expectations were too high. They actually they weren't even too high. They were just wrong. They were wrong, misguided. They were wrong expectations that there would be a smooth transition instead of just a, a, a transition. That's not on me. No, you're right. And you did it. You pulled it off. Great job. I didn't mean to sidetrack us once again yeah. from our transition into mm-hmm. how people can get in contact with us. Did you get that? <laughs> that was very smooth. <laughs> you're right. You're doing well. Yeah, that's my gift, I think, is the smoothness. I think you're better at just coming up with what the transitions should be. Yeah, and identifying a transition. But I can kind of smoothly get us there. Right. Slither our way into you're the... You're trying. Uh, you're looking the, for one. Yeah, you're know, trying to like guide it there. Right. I mean, you can see my hands. You're searching. Right. Much like one would do in the Omnibox, which is where you can type the oh. address of Twitter.com. Yes. To find us. That's right. At CWSBF. Yes. Do, yeah. Slither into that search. Twitter.com. Which we're not really doing Twitter right now. No, we're not. Should we tell people that? That Twitter has killed us? Our souls? Probably. Because I I don't know. You can reach us there. The lights, might not the lights are on. The lights are on, but no one's home. Yeah. <laughs> so nice transition into Twitter. A social platform which we are... Somewhat on hiatus. Our, our relationship is complicated with it's Twitter. It's complicated, yes. So I guess, yeah, we might as well tell the listeners. Right now, we're just kind of debating whether or not we still want to be on Twitter or not. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to kind of leave it at that. But I think for personally, for both of us, it's been a bit healthy to be away from that platform for a little yes. bit. And we'll leave it at that. Yep. That doesn't mean there aren't still a great number of ways to get in contact with yeah. us. Twitter, it's a terrific number. Twitter, great. The number of ways is great. Fantastic. It's awesome. Don't ask We're not going to tell you what the number is. That's how great it is. It we doesn't won't need spell to be this spoken. out for you. But we can go through a couple of the different ways that contribute to that great number. One of which is to just shoot us an email. That's yep. still around. That's classic. That's a feedback at canwestillbefriends.net is right. how you can get in touch with us through that method. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Facebook. Correct. We are on that one still. I feel like I can get in and get out of Facebook a lot <laughs> right. more easily than I can Twitter. Is that what it is? You need an exit? You need an out? That's that's. I think, yeah. I think there's something about Twitter that keeps me scrolling. Mm-hmm. And there's something about Facebook that makes me go, eh, I'm done. <laughs> 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 
so anyways, you can get in contact with us on Facebook. Uh, can We Still Be Friends podcast is the name of our page. There's also our website, canwestillbefriends.net, where you can comment on this episode or any of our past episodes. And we require, we uh, ask that you do so. <laughs> require, we require, we require you to do that. That's it. That is a, you signed on to this. Our hands are tied. Your hands are tied. Right. We wish it could be another way. Just know that as, as listeners, we expect. We expect. We require. We, ex- we require some feedback. On it's the a, website. It's a required field. Right. Can we still be friends.net? Couldn't be simpler. No. We make it easy. Yeah. There's you no guys reason can to meet us halfway. Right. And the optional way of contact. Right. This us. is optional. But the optional way that you can get in contact with us is through our phone number where you can leave a voice message 847 306 9532. Classic number. Great number. It's a great number. It's a great number. I was going to mention for people who want uh, convenience in their media, Hellboy is available to stream on Netflix, Fantastic. at least right now. For now. For now. Who knows? If April comes around, Netflix is going to catch word. They're going to say, we cannot handle the bandwidth. Nope. Of them of, doing this podcast the, Can we still be Friends Nation? So we're hoping that they will keep Hellboy on for April, but it is a real strain. Maybe on their on their yeah. servers. Well, maybe our listeners can you know just stream it. Go ahead and stream it, but maybe you know don't be very vocal in whatever way that looks like about the fact that you're streaming it for our podcast. We just don't want to bring down the internet uh, uh, that way, right? Other ways, maybe. But also, another way that you can kind of disperse the bandwidth is that Hellboy is also available to stream through the public library's Hoopla service. Oh, fantastic! So. Also support your public library. So, yeah, uh, those are the ways that you can get in touch with us and the ways you can watch Hellboy. Um, we also encourage you to, you know, comment on any of our past episodes, yeah. dig through those archives, find some stuff you've never seen before, and uh, give it a shot and yeah. see what we thought about it. Yeah. Um, we've got 70 episodes worth before this. 70 episodes. That's a great number, too. That's a fantastic number. We encourage you to do that. Yeah. Other things we encourage you to do, give us a rating. On uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Let them know that this nation yeah. stands Make your united. Voice heard. Otherwise, we'll just uh, thank you guys for listening, yep. and we'll see you for uh, number seventy-two. Hellboy! Oh yeah, Hellboy! <laughs>